This is the Epilog audio experience. As part of the research and as part of our focus, there is something beyond only injecting drugs or popping pills. And that is something which has actually come up in the last two to three decades that, that the patient needs a holistic approach, not only pills and, and injectables, but much more beyond that. So it took me more than a month to get this interview and that also is considered extremely lucky because this specific oncologist is a well-recognized name in the world of medical oncology. Dr. Ashok Ved is here today in this episode where he speaks all about oncology, patient-centricity, holistic care and most importantly, how we can prevent cancer. He explains to the audience in simple words, the simple things that one can do to keep cancer at bay or to manage it better. Dr. Ashok Ved is extremely renowned in the world of oncology and we have got him here today in India's first integrative oncology podcast. My name is Samara Mahendra. I am the founder of Kera which is India's first integrative oncology platform. We really hope that you enjoy this episode. Dr. Ashok Ved, it is an honor and pleasure to have you a part of our first integrative oncology podcast that's being broadcasted all over India. We understand that you're a very busy uh, oncologist, so I will not take too much of your time, but would love all your insights when it comes to cancer care, healing cancer and oncology. So I'm going to start, uh, Dr. Ved, with the first question. Um, if you can just share a little light on the new advancements in treatment of cancer and oncology that you have noticed recently. Thank you, Samara, for uh, having me on the program. It's an honor and a pleasure indeed. Coming to the question about the advances, the last 20 years has seen a lot of uh, action as far as the cancer diagnostics are concerned, the newer treatments are concerned, our understanding of the biology of cancer is concerned. It all started with the decoding of the human genome, which was a feat in itself. And it was actually thought to be a scientific achievement as big as putting man on the moon. Now, what it did, did was that it unraveled, unfolded the entire genomic composition of the human body and gave us the information about the normal genetics and also paved the way for our understanding of the genomic alterations in disease and particularly cancer. Now, as we understood this, then came the era of precision medicine. What does that mean? That we try to analyze the genes which have gone wrong or which have mutated and led to a particular cancer and develop a drug to that particular abnormality, meaning thereby that we are not only getting into a personalized treatment of that individual, but we are very precise in choosing our treatment. One genetic abnormality, one treatment or a one drug which would reverse that and reverse the cancer even in an advanced stage. So that is the ushering of the era of precision medicine. Apart from that, newer drugs, targeted drugs, there are a lot of immunotherapies, there are a lot of drug antibody conjugates, 
all have stepped in in the last 15 to 20 years, revolutionizing the treatment of cancer. Now, at the same time, something good on the diagnostic front has happened is, apart from the imagery, PET scans, the variety of uh, uh, the MRIs and other scans we have had, and an improvement in their capabilities, the advent of liquid biopsy. Anything in the body which is in a liquid phase, like the blood, saliva, any secretion from the body can be tested for presence or absence of the material which is being shed by the tumors because the tumors are very dynamic. Earlier we thought that the tumors are confined to the organ systems and some cells they escape and go into the circulation. We now know that it's not the intact cell which circulates in the blood. It's the genetic material, the DNA, RNA from that cancer cell is also present in the blood and we have technology a very robust technology, standardized for a few cancers, being standardized for the rest of them. So in the future, we may just do a biopsy for diagnosis, but we would continue to do the liquid biopsy for monitoring. Now, what does that mean? We cannot go back and do biopsies from complicated areas or deep-seated areas in the body. We can draw a 2 ml blood and study the genetic material in that particular sample and get to know whether the cancer is responding, not responding, or is mutating further. And that mutation would be the one for study from the perspective of a newer treatment as well. So as the cancer is changing, so our treatments would change. And, and that's the essence of liquid biopsy. And that's giving us a great leverage in following up the cancer patients and also understanding the newer mutations. That's, that's a snapshot of what, what has happened in the last 15 to 20 years. Dr. Ashok, that's so wonderful that you've spoken about that. You, you brought up precision oncology, and that takes me to the next question about patient centricity. Um, why is patient centricity important, and what is it doing for treating cancer today? So, so the, the, the buzzword is patient centricity. If we look at the modern oncology it all started post world war 2 so this is this is in you know a science which is just about 70 75 years old and in this part of the world even younger than that the entire focus was on treating the tumor come what may we were not looking at the side effects short term long term and then the cancer drugs we were using in the earlier era, they were toxic in themselves as well. You know, they, they were responsible for a lot of side effects in the short term and also causing many more diseases, including a second cancer in the follow-up period. Now, that's interesting. You know. So the entire focus was how to get a response and how to shrink the tumor. We did not take the entire environment, the milieu, and the subject who was harboring this disease as part of the research and as part of our focus, there is something beyond only injecting drugs or popping pills. And that is something which has actually come up in the last two to three decades that, that the patient needs a holistic approach, not only pills and, and injectables, but much more beyond that. And, and that's, the, that's the precise you know, definition of being a patient-centric approach or a patient-centricity. Great. And according to you, Dr. Ved, um, you know, for all our viewers, and many of them probably have 
a family member who's going through cancer or maybe they are going through it themselves uh would you be able to explain a little bit about integrative therapies and i ask you this question because i personally went through it uh unfortunately uh i lost my mother to cancer and one thing we knew was that while we followed suit of what our oncologist told us to do there were so many different facets to healing the patient like you just spoke about that's beyond also just medical treatment uh and patients are always looking for this caregivers are looking for this so if you can tell us a little bit about integrative oncology very true samara and and you brought up the the modern day topic that that treatment is only a part of the the entire management of the patient the management goes beyond drugs and and pills and and the management is a holistic management where the nutrition the psychosocial approach or the psychosocial support not only of the patient but also of the families who are going through that distress young patients imagine somebody in the 30s or young parents they have kids or or vice versa a young kid is uh, unwell and and there are young parents in the uh, in the family who are who are struggling with their careers they are they are in the formative years of their lives and then there are these are complex issues which which need attention which need discussion and a solution at the end of the day so patient centricity integrated approach everything steps in as part of the entire management now i am not using the word treatment treatment is only by way of drugs and injectables or or medications so the overall management strategy should include the psychosocial support nutritional support physical uh, rehab and physical support and 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 looking at factors way beyond that the short term toxicities the long term coping with those toxicities and an education of the patient and the family is how to recognize these uh, the 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 long term potential side effects by because the patients would become Uh, uh, less often coming to the hospital their visits would be 6 month or 1 year and then they should be educated knowing about how to cope up with all that even in the later years of life not it's it's not only only a question of the physical it's a question of the mental psychosocial sexual unmarried uh, individuals or or couples who have not born children you know they they need all that so it's an it's a holistic approach it's a 360 degree, degree approach what can your patients do or any say any oncologist patients do today to start incorporating these kind of therapies into their treatment regimen so you know this is this is something new to our to to our setup uh, we 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 have followed the best in most of the practices uh, they they have evolved from that part of the world and and very rightly so they they were they were ahead of us as far as medical innovations and and medical you know newer therapies and newer thought processes have been concerned for variety of reasons the the access to care the innovation the access to to research and and the funding and everything you know and but they were they were quick in in uh, adapting and adopting i would say both now in the clinics this should become a part of the the entire oncology clinic and and the oncology clinic is not only a radiation surgical medical oncologist i think a, a, a psycho social support a psychologist a nutritionist a, a, a rehab person and and so on and so forth it's it's a, these are the various rings around the patient the first ring may be the therapeutic ring but don't forget the second ring which is around they are not only helping the patient but they are helping the physicians as well you know the in treating their patients better keeping the nutrition good keeping the physical health good keeping the medical mental health good and and therefore 
impacting in a, in a, in a major way the outcome of the treatments. We know nutrition helps. The outcome of the treatments are different in those who are, who are able to maintain their nutrition versus those who are not able to maintain their nutrition. And, and it's a proven fact scientifically. So, so these are various rings around the patient, I would say, the protective rings. And then each helping the other, they, are, they work in synchrony. They, they, don't, they, 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 they are all, all working towards the welfare of the patient. Dr. Ved, um, also we are learning that nutrition, um, onco-nutrition is becoming the additional pillar of treatment for cancer. Any thoughts on that? And also just shedding some light on the fact that there can be food and drug interaction. So having the right clinical nutritionist is also imperative. So, Sabara, the, the onco-nutrition would be uh, split into two broad areas. One is the preventive, and then we know that certain nutritional exposures, like alcohol, like you know processed meats, they're almost now today thought to be causal in causing cancers, you know, as, as causes of cancer. And of course, the protective effect of uh, dietary fiber is needless to stress upon. And, and uh, you know, these, these exposures, uh, taken in a, in, a, in, a, in a right manner, could sort of be preventive for individuals, you know. Now, having said that, the, the second part would be, and, and most important would be for those patients who are on treatment, what do they do, you know. A healthy individual is able to eat, is able to take care of um, the, the balanced diet and everything. And, and uh, of course, a, a patient who's undergoing treatment because of the disease, because of the side effects of the treatment uh, and a variety of other reasons, you know, and uh, is, is not eating well, has low appetite. And, and therefore, there would be reasons to fall behind the nutrition and, and not only the calories, it might be the, the other nutrients as well, micronutrients. And, but at the same time, we have to be cognizant that too much of supplementation and all that may not be good because we don't want to overdo that because they may negate the effect of chemotherapy and radiation. And then therefore, uh, uh, the, the all, all individuals, all patients are actually encouraged in the clinics to speak to the nutritionist or speak to the oncologist before going in for that. However, we know that, that keeping in up a good diet, some extra proteins and then balancing the rest of it and then fruits and vegetables, you know, giving enough of those vitamins and, and antioxidants from natural sources are, are, are an integral part of an oncology program. And uh, keeping up the nutrition is something very important. Maintaining the body weight, maintaining a muscle mass, and then uh, keeping the BMI at, at a reasonably good optimized BMI and an optimized body weight. I think that is something very, very important uh, in today's time. And Dr. Ashok, how does this uh, support your treatment regimen? You know, when a patient gets on to, say, an integrative protocol where they are supported well in nutrition, in physical rehab, and very importantly, the psychological and mental health uh, aspect of care, how does it help you in treating the patient effectively? So, you know, as I said, that uh, a healthy individual has no problems in terms of calories and nutrients. And uh, someone who's uh, actually, you know, sick and on chemotherapy or radiation or any other anti-cancer interventions, uh, the keeping the balance becomes hard, very difficult to maintain that and because of the side effects and the low appetite. And, 
you know the 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 training of doctors across the board across specialties is so focused on the therapeutic aspects of it i i i can i can say that that uh, you you need someone who's who's more specialized and and uh, who spends time uh, rather than the doctor spending on uh, time on all this uh, doctors should better spend time on the on the therapeutic aspects and uh, of course you know they, they they also should spend time on the diet and nutrition uh, it's it's not something uh, they shouldn't be doing it but i think it's becoming a a specialized subspecialty within within oncology and then once we recognize that then the lead role has to be taken by the the specialist in that domain and and that is where the integrative oncology becomes so very important uh, for for patients and their families that's so well put dr veer because you know we um, i think we're moving more as a country collectively to a holistic integrate integrative patient centric treatment regimen for patients and uh, for cancer as a whole and uh, having you know oncologists such as yourself to advocate it is makes a huge huge impact um i'm going to talk a little bit about treatment adherence a very big problem that we face in india globally to some degree Uh, especially when it comes to oncology treatment uh, what are, what do you feel are some of the ways to actually improve the adherence of treatment for patients sabara this is a very sort of a uh, you know difficult to deal topic uh, in especially in this part of the world uh, there are variety of reasons to that and uh, access to care traveling long distances finances backing family support and and also the myths around us the alternatives being thrown at us and and by those who actually should not be getting into such specialized areas who who probably might mislead an individual or a family and and these are broadly the reasons low motivation you know risk of losing the job not understanding that that you are you are uh, on one hand looking at the job uh, on the other hand the cancer might progress so quickly that that it it may overcome you in a in a very short span of time so adherence to treatment is something which is again an integral part to the successful outcome of that treatment because the right drug in the right dose at the right time in the right scheduling and the right intensity uh, i i think that's that's the best way to go about now again as i said that oncologists are being sort of supported by very many other professionals and and the psychosocial support repetitive counseling sessions probably they are the ones which would make somebody cross that threshold move on to the other side the threshold is getting some critical treatment and moving to the other side of the dividing line and and leading to a better outcome so it is a difficult topic to be championed by not only the oncologists to be to be sort of you know dealt by everyone as part of the team keeping the patients and the families motivated and also looking at the alternatives to sourcing support there is a lot of support from the ngos lot of support from the pharmaceuticals by way of the patient support programs and the patient assistance programs 
I think these are a variety of ways by which the patients could adhere and could continue to complete their treatments. And especially in those cancers where the outcome is going to be good, what we call as curable cancers, early stage cancers. And if someone drops off the, the radar or, or doesn't continue treatment in early stage or, or in curable cancer, then it can't get worse than that. It, there can't be a greater catastrophe than that. So while finance plays a very big part uh, in the risk of non-adherence, we've also noticed just even um, the quality of life and the side effects of treatment that sometimes can be quite severe and debilitating and that also results in patients dropping out of treatment or uh, you know taking a long gap in the treatment regimen. Um, so we've noticed that that makes a huge difference when we improve quality of life. And, and like you rightly said, education, there is a very wrong a negative connotation when it comes sometimes to allopathic medicine in cancer where a patient feels that if they're feeling better, then why continue the allopathic medicine? And they think that it's better to get off it. But um, but we, you know, obviously educate them otherwise. And I think that makes a huge difference. A lot of our listeners uh, would love to know what they can do to help manage their side effects. There is so much fear associated with cancer. Can we try to you know, uh, demystify that fear and just bust the myths that surround the absolute fear that comes with a cancer diagnosis. You know, that's quite understandable that that this is a disease which has been traditionally and and still associated with uh, a lot of nihilism and negativity. And the outcomes have been uh, dismal in the uh, earlier decades, but things have changed in the past at least about two decades. And then as an oncologist, I have seen that change happen. There was a time when stage four lung cancer was deemed not treatable. You know, people said that don't waste your time. In today's time, a stage four lung cancer through precision medicine workup could live several years actually. So treatment, adherence to treatment and keeping up a good nutrition, I think that is something very important. A good nutrition would, would give you give the patient the strength and the energy to go about and, and maintain the body weight and, and also would, would lead to a better side effect profile and, and therefore a better outcome of the treatment. Treat cancer, fight it regardless. And, and uh, the modern medicine is every day getting better, is, is innovating, is giving us newer leads, newer uh, therapies and improving the not only the, the longevity, but also the quality of life. I think there, there is a reason to continue. Yes. And uh, Dr. Ved, I, I won't take more of your time, but I have to wrap up by talking about um, prevention and screening. Um, again, so much fear associated to get yourself screened. I think um, we all know that the earlier you get detect the cancer, the the higher the chance of survival. It literally is, um, you know, your life, your the determination of your life can change based on the stage you're detected. But we still have a very small population that is actually, um, you know, uh, taking the initiative to get screened or doing what they can to prevent cancer. Cancer now becoming more of a lifestyle disease. How do you encourage people? What can you say to them to take that initiative? And the second question to that is also, a lot of people don't know, know what the symptoms uh, are of and could possibly be of cancer. How does one understand that and, and realize that it is the time to actually go get a checkup and get screened? 
So let me answer that in, in three sort of uh, buckets. Number one is the the understanding about the symptoms that that and and let me tell you and let me tell everybody who's who's listening to this program that there is no age which is immune to cancer. Everybody is equally vulnerable. Even even a baby in the mother's womb is vulnerable to cancer. A baby could be born with cancer, and a hundred year old could be suffering from cancer. Because this is linked to the biology of the disease and then biology of our, our bodies, you know, we are, we are vulnerable to cancer. That's number one. However, there are certain cancers which can be actually prevented. And the three chief culprits in today's time, 50% of the cancers are linked to tobacco, alcohol and being overweight. BMI, body mass index, you know, these are the three preventable. Imagine somebody doesn't use tobacco, uses alcohol in very sort of a sensible or a moderation in a moderation and maintains a healthy lifestyle. The healthy lifestyle means that you're active, physically active. You're eating a balanced diet. You're exercising well. That not only gives you a dividend on the, on the cancer front, this also keeps your blood pressure, your heart, your diabetes, your muscles, joints, everything fit enough. You know. So there are, there are, uh, you know, collateral benefits of being active and keeping your body weight down. There is no safe tobacco on this on this earth. So it's a myth that, that there are certain tobaccos which, which do not cause cancer or you know, are, are better for health. So three things, I'm repeating that, tobacco, alcohol, and, and body mass index or your body weight. Now going to the second, that how many people screen and how many do not screen. Screening leads to early detection. Why the Western world has been successful in reducing the the mortality from can, from cancer? How are they diagnosing their cancers in stage one and stage two? Majority of them, and why are we diagnosing in three and four? Why? Because we don't go to the hospital or to the doctor voluntarily to to get screened for not only cancer, diabetes, heart, anything. They screen, they catch in stage one and two. And the cure rate goes up, mortality is going down. We don't screen, we catch in stage three and four. And, and therefore our, our results are dismal. That's why a lot of people ask us, why why the outcomes are so dismal in India? Because three-fourths of the cases, two-thirds to three-fourths of the cases are in stage three and four. We can't cure every one out of them. But we can cure majority of the stage one and stage twos. So screen. And these are, these are simple tests, a mammogram, a pap smear, and then based on the family history, uh, certain blood checks, and then maybe a colonoscopy, maybe a PSA test. And then these are, these are simple measures to, to screen a lot of these cancers. How to prevent? I've said enough about that. Eat well, stay healthy, exercise. And then there are cancers which are beyond our lifestyles, which are beyond diet, which are, and, and even science doesn't know as on date, probably we would figure them out in the near future as well. And it's so simple. I mean, what you said is so doable, so simple, um, yet it's, you know, a challenge to have people actually implement this. Um, but like we know, screening is imperative. Prevention is better than cure. Um, but yes. Sorry, and, and, and Samara, soon there would be screening by, by a blood check. Mm-hmm. And, and that would screen out about a dozen cancers. Mm-hmm. So an annual blood check 
would be good enough to tell an individual whether whether there is something brewing up in the body or not and and that should be very soon commercially available as well and and the good thing is that this is a research originating out of india yes so it's it's from india to the rest of the world yes dr way to just wrap this up i do want to bring some light to the women uh, and the rate of cancer cases going up amongst women if i am not uh, wrong i think it's 1 in 22 urban women in india will develop breast cancer are you seeing a larger number of women who are developing cancer at a younger age um, and is this primarily because of lifestyle factors so definitely the the numbers have gone up we have seen the change in the last 20 25 years and uh, the factors which are operative are you know late marriages there is no breastfeeding women are out to work and and you know the variety of these factors and uh, of course the 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 lifestyles on the nutrition side the supply side has become much more than than what we are expanding expanding in terms of our exercise and our burning the calories so probably you know it's a mix of factors but definitely there is a change the numbers and the age as well you know yes and i think because of women starting to work more uh sitting in front of a computer screen more sedentary lifestyle much higher fat percentages which is direct cause of certain cancers is what's uh, also creating disruption in hormones we are seeing a lot of hormone related cancers all of this can be managed and prevented dr way thank you so much for your time and giving us such incredible insights simple easy things that can be done that can actually um combat or prevent cancer for yourself or loved one thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure samara thank you so much we hope you enjoyed this episode and found it useful for yourself for more such episodes please subscribe to our youtube channel apple podcasts spotify and ep log media website where we dive deeper into the world of integrative oncology and healing cancer the right way